Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Shenanigans podcast, where we review the games we've been playing and discuss board game-related topics. My name is Bob. And I'm Natasha. In this week's episode, we are going to be reviewing The Castles of Burgundy, The Voyages of Marco Polo, and a special game from Natasha. <laughs> from my son. Let's be clear. Yeah. Another kid's game. We get to we get to hear about another kid's game. The discussion topic, we are going to just continue on with our interviews with mental health professionals. This is actually going to be concluding our interviews on that. Today, we're going to have Jack Birkenstock with us today, who's the executive director of the Bohana Group. But first, let's talk some games. Natasha, what have you been playing? So this week, I played Castles of Burgundy. It's a dice-rolling, tile-laying game designed by Stefan Feld, arts by Anja Stefan and Claus Stefan, published by Aaliyah and Ravensburger. In this game, players are each building their own princedom in the kingdom of uh, Burgundy, in a region of high medieval France, trying to earn the most points. Players will be taking settlement tiles from the game board and placing them on their own player board. Each tile has a function that starts when the tile is placed. The Princeton itself consists of several regions, each of which demands its own type of settlement tile. So players do this by rolling two dice at the beginning of each round. During your turn, you will perform any two of the four possible types of actions. So the first one, you can take a settlement tile from the number depot on the game board corresponding to one of the of the dice and place it in a staging area on your personal player board. So if you roll a six, you can take any of the one of the four tiles in the six region. Um, the other thing you can do is take a settlement tile from your staging area of your board and place it onto a space on your player board in your um, Princeton. And again, the, the number has to match. So each of the tile areas that you can place a tile has a number on it. So if you roll a six, you could place your tile on a six space. It just needs to be adjacent to a previously played set, uh, settlement tile. You can also deliver goods with a number matching one of the dice. So if you have a good with a six on it, you could use that six-sided dice to, to deliver that good. You earn a couple of victory points per good, and then you get one coin no matter how many goods you have. The fourth action you can do is to take worker tokens. Those allow the player to adjust the roll of your dice. So if you rolled that six and you really needed a five, you would spend one of your workers to change it to a five or you could change it to a one. So in addition to these actions, a player may buy a settlement tile from the central depot on the game board and place it in the staging area um, on your player board again. Each settlement tile offers a benefit. Uh, it could be additional actions, additional money, advancements on the turn, order track, more good tiles, uh, die roll adjustments, or straight up victory points. Bonus victory points are awarded for filling a region with the settlement tiles. The earlier in the game, the more points. And then you also earn points by being the first to complete all of one type of settlement. What makes this game so fun is really being able to pull off one epic big turn. You know, you don't you don't get a lot of actions in your turn. You really just get those two dice. Um, so being able to use your buildings really effectively and and be able to play one or more tile and, you know, maybe capture, complete a bunch of regions all at once is really where the fun of the game lies. I completely agree. That is that is exactly where the fun of this game is. When you have these big turns, because there's going to be a lot of like little turns where you just maybe collect a couple tiles, maybe you sell some goods, blah, blah, blah. But then you have this one tile where you place your castle, then you place 
this one building that allows you to place this other thing that allows you to put yourself in this, you know, allows you to put your water tile down. So then all of a sudden you collect all these goods and then you can sell them with this other one, then buy a tile from the center. It's extremely rewarding when you pull that off. And the game is broken down into these various rounds. And so you have a few, quite a few turns within each round. So at the start of the round, all the tiles are placed out. So you have a lot of options what to buy. You want to use those turns to like get the tiles you want. And then later on in the round, there's very few tiles that are available to buy. So you kind of want to use those actions to place your tiles. But you can only hold three tile in your staging area until you place it. So timing that is really important. You know, the earlier you can fill each region, the more points you can score. But of course, it's harder to fill each region. You know, so there's just the balancing act of one to do each thing that really makes the game uh, kind of gives it some tension, which I really enjoy. Yeah, I I agree 100%. The fact that you score points exponentially based on how large of an area you fill. For example, if you filled an area that has six tiles in it, it's going to be worth a lot more points exponentially than a thing that you did with three tiles. Mm-hmm. But it's unlikely you'll be able to do that in the very first round, so you're not going to get the extra bonus points from completing it. But you want to make sure you're still progressing towards that because the earlier you can get that done, the more extra points you're going to end up getting. Mm-hmm. You get 10 bonus points if you complete it in the first round, and there's a few regions that only have one tile in it. So you get those quick, easy wins, but you're dependent on the dice that you roll and the tiles that come up in play. You know, If they're not available, then you can't do it. So there's a lot of... You know, there's a little bit of luck with your dice, but it's really how you manage what you roll that where all the strategy lies. Well, and there's there's mitigation, too, because there are technology tiles that allow you to, you know, adjust the value on your die plus or minus one. There's Mm -hmm. those workers that you can get that allow you to change your dice. There's even technology tiles that allow you to just straight up take tiles. It doesn't matter the number of them or the number that they're on. Yeah, it it breaks the rules in some way or your workers are now plus or minus two, whatever it happens to be. So there's a lot of mitigation in the game. So never I think the reason why this game goes over so well is you never feel like you have nothing to do. It's not necessarily a great feeling to say, all right, you know what? I'm going to take workers, but it's also not a bad thing because sometimes you just you don't necessarily want to place something or you don't want to grab a tile from there. So you grab some workers and you know you're going to need them later on in the game. Yeah, it doesn't feel like you're relying on the luck of the dice at all. You're re- it really feels like you're making good use of the dice that you roll. The, the dice are random, but you're adapting your strategy to what you roll. And there's that racing element of the first person to collect all, to fill their board with all of the same tile gets those little extra bonuses, mm-hmm. you know, which I really like. So there's a little bit of, you know, that achievement. Okay, I'm the first one to do all my castle tiles, so I get an extra four points or whatever it happens to be, you know. Mm-hmm. And you don't you don't fill up your whole board, so there's definitely some area, you know, you definitely want to focus on one thing because you're not going to be able to fill the whole thing up. So can we talk about how this is like the driest, ugliest Euro there is? <laughs> yes, actually, I... I want to let's transition into artwork because I do have something to say about this game versus the new edition that came out. It is so ugly. It there. Yes, it is. We talked when there was a few episodes ago. I can't remember exactly, but we talked about how Leia just doesn't seem to be cutting it with their artwork. Like Carpe Diem, they released like three versions because there were so many people up in arms about the artwork. 
Well, Castles of Burgundy released uh, uh, an anniversary edition of some kind with updated artwork and everything. The box looks a lot nicer, but But I hate the artwork in it. Yeah, I hate it. I hate the new version. I hate the artwork in the new version so much. I I don't know why. Sure, but the old artwork is is ugly too. It's not like the old artwork was better. They're both ugly. They're not great, that's for sure. As maybe it's because I'm so used to I don't even have to like look on my player board as to what building is what cuz I've played it so many times. Maybe that's the reason why is they've all of a sudden changed the way the buildings look in the new version and I don't like change. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. It's I don't think it's uglier. I think the you're just familiar with it. But it's not just that it's ugly. Like, the the cardboard tiles are so thin and chintzy. They're small, they're thin, they're chintzy. Everything about this game is cheap and chintzy. Although, you know, you can pick this up for, like, $20, brand new. You know, you can, you can get a used copy probably cheaper than that. So, you know, do we need big, expensive board games? I mean, no, because I love this game, even though it is ugly and... and cheap well and it came out in 2011 originally mm-hmm. so uh, yeah it definitely shows its age with the artwork that's for sure i'm curious to see what this new uh, version is gonna look like there's a new one with the, it looks like a beautiful box oh the the one that they're i think they're partnering with awaken realms to do a i don't think it's a kick i don't think it's on kickstarter i think they're gonna put it on game found but it's uh it's like a super deluxe version of it yeah, it looks really pretty. Yeah, that looks super cool. So I'm I'm excited to I'm probably gonna back that, honestly. Me and my wife play this game a ton, so I will get that to the table quite a bit. But yeah, the artwork's not great, that's for sure. But I don't know, for whatever reason I don't mind it. Because the gameplay is so good. This is I, probably I think this is Steffenfeld's best game by far. Yeah, I agree. I think that it doesn't bother you because you started playing this game when there wasn't beautiful games out, so there wasn't anything to compare it to. So the fact that it was ugly wasn't a big deal. It didn't matter. And you love it, and it's got a place in your heart. And I and I like it. I, I will continue to play it no matter how ugly it is. But, man, I don't think this game would ever see the light of day if it came out now. You don't think it would be popular? Nope. I don't think people would even give it a chance. Because of how ugly it is? Mm-hmm. Even the newest edition, like it's, I think it's better, but the artwork looks better. But I don't like it. The colors look better. You just don't like it, yeah. It, but it's not. It it still looks dated and old. It doesn't look like a cool new board game. Yeah, I'm really. I really hope they do the crowdfunding version. I hope they do it justice because mm-hmm. I think I think this game is fantastic. Do you want to get into ratings? Do you want to talk ratings? Yeah. What would you give it? I'm gonna. I give the game a nine out of ten. I I love this game. It's so good. I think it has so many rewarding decisions in it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I I I really like this game. It's unfortunate the artwork kind of sucks, but I, mm-hmm. maybe you're right. Maybe I don't care because of how good you know, it how is. long I've been. Yeah, how long I've been playing it. I give it an eight out of ten. I it would go up to a nine for me if it was better looking. That's the only downfall. I really enjoy it. I think it's totally worth playing. Um, if you can get a get a new uh, used copy, I would say pick it up. It's definitely worth checking out. It's accessible. It's easy to learn. It's not overly complicated. Um, but if you are interested, you think you'd really like it, I almost would just wait to see for this new version to see if it's more. You know, I think it's worth 
getting a beautiful version of it. I would give this game a try if you like, you know, any kind of tile laying game. If you like some, you know, if you don't mind dry euros, if you like some strategy without, you know, really, really small theme, you're okay with that. Um, this is a great game, definitely worth trying out, and that's the Castles of Burgundy. Next, I want to talk about The Voyages of Marco Polo. This is a dice placement contract fulfillment game designed by Simone Luciani and Danielle Toschini, art by Dennis Lohansen, published by Z-Man Games. In this game, players recreate the historic journey of Marco Polo traveling to China with his father and older brother, playing as prehistoric figures from history. Players will do this by using their pool of action dice to take various actions to fulfill contracts and move their character around the board trying to complete travel objectives. So Marco Polo is played over the course of five rounds, and at the start of a round, players will roll their dice, collect any sort of compensation if their rolls are extremely low. This is also when characters will collect income from various spots they may have traveled to or from their actual characters. Then players will take turns starting with the first player, taking actions until all players have placed all of their dice. There are various spots on the board where players can place their dice. There's a marketplace where players can acquire different goods in the game, camels, pepper, silk, and gold. There's an action spot that allows players to obtain new contracts. There's the favor of con spot that gives players two camels and a good of their choice. There's a spot to gain five coins. And finally, a spot that allows players to move their character meeple around the board. How good of an action you get when you place your dice will be determined by the number on that dice. So for example, if you go to the market and get camels by placing a single die there, you will get a number of camels based on the die result. So a six will get you six camels. Some spots require more than one die and the strength of the actions based on the lowest die value. Players can also go to spots occupied by other dice, but they now have to pay to do that action which again is based on the lower die value you placed. To go back to the camel example, if a die is already there and you place a value five die, you will have to pay five coins, but you will get five camels. Players also have several actions that they can take on their turn, which are not main action. For example, they can complete a contract. They can take three coins. They can reroll one of their dice by paying a camel. They can adjust a die by plus or minus one by paying two camels, or they can buy an additional die for three camels. There are also other action spots that can become available as players move around the board. I think what I love most about this game is the character powers. They all seem completely broken in like some way, which is awesome. Uh Uh-huh. It is really fun. So everyone gets their own special power and they're all just wildly different. Like one, the person that I played didn't roll their dice. I just set my own dice to whatever I wanted to. Like that, that, what? A dice game that you can do that, but only one player? That's so broken. But then somebody else's power is equally as good. It's crazy. It's it's such a cool thing to have your power and be like, yeah, you know what? I don't roll my dice. I can set my die value to whatever I want. And then the person next to you is like, well, I don't have to pay any coins by putting my dice on top of other dice. You're like, yeah, Man, that that's is, huge. That's, that's busted. Well, dude, you don't have to like, you don't even have to roll. You can pick whatever the heck you want. Or there's the one that anytime somebody goes to the market, you get a good based on the spot they get. Which is huge because goods are so tight. They're so busted. There's a couple that like I have at this point, I've played the game enough where there's certain ones I like better than other ones. Mm-hmm. But regardless, the things you can do with them are just... 
it's so fun to have this special power that only you can do. It makes the game unique and fun. All right, but here's my problem with the game. What you got? It's too good for you? There is an obvious first player move that the first player takes, and I don't like that. Like when the game, when the first person who plays always goes to that the best spot, I don't like that in games. Why not? Because it, it I don't know, you end up fighting for first player token, and the way first, pl- and then the first player, like, I don't mind it if it goes around the board, right? But you earn first player by being the last one to move. Which is, it's not even like you can spend your turn being the first one to get go to the first player token and guarantee you get it. You're the last one to move, which is a really, it can be tricky to, to pull that off as well. And so if you end up sitting to the right of the first player, you're always last player. <laughs> the person who always goes first, you know? That may have, that may have happened to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah Probably I was, still first. Yeah. Yeah, I do like to go first. I, I don't like try. to waste my time fighting over first player. I usually just don't go first player. And so that's probably why like that bothers me. Like I don't like an obvious first player. There, there should be at least four places on the board that are just as good. And when one place, one spot is the best spot to go to. What spot is that? The one where you get all those camels. Yeah, I think that might just be our meta. So the people we played it with, for it was you, me, Jeremy, and Chris, right? Mm-hmm. Jeremy and I have played that game a ton online. Mm-hmm. That was like one of our go-to games that was on both of our uh, um, 10 by 10s. So we played mm-hmm. it a ton online during the pandemic. So I think we might have developed a slight meta to it. But I mean, camels are so useful. You need camels. Right. That's the best spot, right? The other oh, ones, the- you don't need the resources near as much. Yeah. Camels are universally good for everything. You can buy dice with them. You can manipulate dice with them. When you're traveling around the board, you're going to need them to cross certain paths. So Mm -hmm. you always want to make sure your camel game's on point. That's for sure. Right. So I don't know. I just, I don't like that. But but I didn't mind. You kind of go around, you use your dice to get tokens. You can fulfill contracts. You can move around the board. You get to, you get special powers once you go to a certain area or you get end game scoring. It's, it's interesting. There's a lot to it. You know, it's definitely really busy and a little overwhelming to learn. But overall, I, I liked it. It was just. That's my only complaint is the the obvious first turn. It is an extremely tight game as well. Mm-hmm. There's always times where you think you, you want to move, especially movement. Movement in this game is extremely difficult. It is not easy. Mm-hmm. You need to make sure you have everything lined up in order to properly do it. And like you, you said- You get enough money to move and then somebody else moves ahead of you. So now you need to get more money. It's just really, really tight, and somebody can mess up your plans really quickly. Well, and that you first player is determined by the last person who went to that move spot. It's not Mm -hmm. the last player who moved; it's the last person to place their stuff on that move spot. Because you can, there's ways to move by fulfilling contracts and stuff. Mm -hmm. Or um, if you get three fives, you can go to the gold spot and move. But so that doesn't necessarily affect turn order. Yeah, turn order. It's going to be that spot and. I mean, I like to go first, so because I want my camels. And you just, <laughs> you just, <laughs> you were just sitting on the wrong side of me. What you need to do is, whenever we play, sit to my left, and you'll be fine. I'll be second player, second place all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So then you can go. I don't know, favor of Con or something. <laughs> it wouldn't help. I need camels. <laughs> you get two camels there. But you know what you need to do is, you need to be that. You need to have that special power that allows you to place dice without paying. Like that's pretty cool. 
Yeah, then I could do that. That would be fun. Uh, if I play it again, I'll be that special card. Do we get to choose? I think we had to draft no. them. Yeah, you have to draft them. Well, that's I mean, thing. I'd play it again, but it's definitely one that I think you need to you need to invest the time into playing it and learning it and getting better at it. Like, it's not the type of game that you're going to just like learn once, play, and just be like, oh, that was fun. You really kind of got to put that time and energy into it. You really do. In order to f- really get the most out of this game, you really it rewards a bunch of extra plays. I would be curious to know your opinion of Marco Polo 2 because there's a second version that came out and traveling is quite a bit easier. The my one cons- my one gripe about Marco Polo 2 is I don't think the character powers are as balanced as Marco Polo 1. Like Marco Polo 1, they're all busted, but they all feel equally busted. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Marco Polo 2 there's certain ones that don't feel nearly as powerful as other ones based on player count because there's certain ones that I think I think you can get because when, when you travel on those spots there's going to be little bonus tiles that you get stuff and I think one of them gets all the bonus tiles and if there's less people there's less traveling so you don't get as many of those bonus tiles to use mm-hmm. so I think there's certain ones that do better at higher player counts and lower player counts and I think that would be an obvious criticism of Marco Polo too but it's easier to travel and it's easier to do those things so I'd be interested to see what you think of Marco Polo 2. I would probably enjoy it more just because it's not as tight. It doesn't wouldn't feel as punishing. Sure. What uh what are you gonna rate this game? I would give it um a six and a half. Okay. But but to be fair, I've only played it the one time. All right, so fair maybe enough. if I played it more than once, I would enjoy it more, but I just don't know that I'll have the chance to keep playing it. Like I just don't know that I want to put all the effort into learning it. It's got to be especially difficult to play against players who know the game well, too. Right. I'd be playing it with you guys, and you guys are really good at it, so it doesn't. It just doesn't sound fun for me. So I just don't know that I'll I'll be getting better at the game. But you know, if it sounds good to you, it's a really good game. I acknowledge that it's a good game. Yeah, I think it's a good game. I'm giving this game uh, nine out of ten. I really like it. I think it's an extremely well done game. It's probably one of the better ones from this Italian design group. I think. Um, I would definitely recommend giving this game a try if you like dice placement and extremely tight gameplay. I mean, this is definitely a no-brainer. You should check it out. That is The Voyages of Marco Polo. All right. So my son got Mousetrap from the thrift store, and he brought it home. And he's like, I want to play Mousetrap. I'm like, oh, okay. I remember playing it as a kid and, and enjoying it. We never owned it. But I played it at my friend's house. Um, however, nobody, none of my friends actually had all the pieces. So I don't ever actually remember playing a complete game of it. But I definitely remember playing with it a lot. And uh, and I love Rube Goldberg devices. I just think they're so fun. I, I just love them so much. Um, did, the, did the thrift store version oh, have complete. every? Yeah, it was totally complete. Was it new and shrink? Tell no, it shrink. no, it was open. It was only two bucks and it had all the pieces. I was shocked. So my son wanted to play it, and I was like, okay, sure, I'll play it with you, but I need to go for a walk first. So I'm going to go for a walk. You go get it all set up, and then when I get back, we'll play it. So he's like, okay. So he sets it all up, like builds the whole contraption, you know, and gets it, got it to work and everything. And I'm like, did you read the rules? He's like, no. I'm like, okay, I'll read the rules. I read the rules. And I'm like, oh, the you, you build the game as you play it. You don't actually put it together before you play it. You build it as you're – that's the game. It's building it, right? Yeah. Did, did you know that? 
I did. Yeah, you I did. Didn't know, I didn't know that. So he was so mad at me. He's like, ah, mom. Like, well, now you know how to put it together. So it was helpful. So we play it and you roll the die and you move that many spaces forward and you either collect cheese tokens or you, in a two player game, you put a piece on there. Some of the places, some of the spots you land on, you only put a two, you only put a piece on if it's a two player game. So in that situation you wouldn't add a piece you would just do nothing so in our game you either built the mousetrap or you got cheese or there's a few spaces that you would go to that would set you back a couple spaces to either get cheese or build a mousetrap like that's like the whole game is you're getting adding one more piece to this rube goldberg device until you until the whole thing's completed at that point it's completed you're just rolling and moving until you get to the end or you get it to the end and then you're still completing it. And then you get to the end and you circle around this, the trap itself, right? And if you land on the spot that lets you set off the trap, you get to set it off. And if somebody is in the spot that's under the trap, then you catch them and you win the game, right? Like that's literally it. And you use the cheese. So if you land on the spot that lets you set off the mouse trap, you can use your cheese to roll the die to move your opponent's mouse to try to get them under the trap like the gameplay is so bad like it's fun to put the rube goldberg to together but it literally doesn't matter like it doesn't matter you land on it you put a piece on there like there's you might as well just put it together and then get right to the end and just land on the spot that lets you capture the mouse if they're on the spot it was then you just kind of circled around until we both were on the right spot oh it was bad you know how oftentimes people will refer to games as being activities and not so much games? Yeah. Like there's, the mind yeah. or whatever. That's a that's an activity. It's not a game. Mousetrap is an activity. I don't yeah, know how there's, much there is. There's no game in this. It, you know, you're just kind of building it together until you get to the end. Like it just, it made me so disappointed because I remember like how much I wanted to play it. You know, we're always missing a piece. It never worked. And how how I thought it was so cool as a kid and I was just so disappointed in playing it. Even my son was like, that wasn't very good, mom. Like, well, next time we'll just build it and just play it. Did it it work? It did work. Well, there was one thing that didn't work so I just kind of touched that and then it would keep going. Like it didn't hit the thing, right? But but the the mousetrap itself, the Rube Goldberg device was cool. That was fun. Yeah, I remember... Uh, growing up and seeing commercials for this on like Saturday morning cartoons and I remember always wanting it but the same thing anyone who owned a copy of it it never was complete so like you uh-huh. couldn't you couldn't make it actually, actually work <laughs> yeah. yeah this one even had the rubber band in it so it was good I would love to see a game that utilized this concept but actually made a decent game about it because Rube Goldberg devices are so cool. I love them. I just know how to build my own. That's what you need to do. Is you, What you need to do is you need to give up everything you're doing, start a TikTok where all you do is create those types of things and oh, just yeah. become like internet famous doing that. I love watching those TikToks, especially those really big ones where they just have this giant one that lasts like 10 minutes. They're so fun. But this game is bad. It's bad, bad. I mean, it's not as it's not miserable to play because you do get to build the Rube Goldberg, and that's kind of fun. But the gameplay itself, awful. Would you rather play this or Uno Showdown? Mousetrap. I would play Mousetrap because at least I get a Rube Goldberg device in it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a fun activity. 
that doesn't annoy me. I would rate it a two. I would only recommend it. I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. I mean, it, it's fun to build it, but I just don't see that it's worth playing the game just to build it. I would recommend building your own Rube Goldberg device because that's that's fun. Yeah, get out, get out the tool and saw and wood and build your own. Build your own mouse trap, yeah. Build your have own you ever, real life one. Have you seen any of those videos of like people who like come up with these different contraptions to catch mice? And they like videotape the mice like falling in like they'll create a they'll put a bucket with like a fake Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or whatever and they keep dumping it. for whatever reason oh. when I go down the YouTube rabbit hole, when I'm just like clicking on videos, I like I'll end up on randomly those ones and they're they're so satisfying to watch. I don't even know why. Like I all of a sudden I'll be just sitting there watching mice fall into a bucket and it makes me happy <laughs> for whatever reason. <laughs> Maybe it's the you know, catching the mice that appeal to people. Yeah, maybe. Um, I don't know. All right. Well, that's Mousetrap. Now you know if you didn't know like me. You don't have to put <laughs> it together before you play. You should have just looked up the rules and read it. And that way you would know what Mousetrap actually is. Well, I thought my son would do that, but he didn't. That's hilarious. All right. So I think that's going to wrap up the games we've been playing this week. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, but... When we come back, we are going to be joined by Jack Birkenstock, who is the executive director of the Bohada Group. All right, we are back, and this week we are joined by Jack Birkenstock, the executive director of the Bodana Group, a nonprofit that advocates the use of tabletop gaming as a directed therapeutic and clinical practice that can benefit personal growth as well as enhance social and educational services to individuals and families. Thank you for joining us, Jack. Hey, th- thanks for having me. Always uh, great to meet new folks, get to talk about the the passion that is tabletop gaming. And uh, yeah, j- thank you so much. Yeah, it's awesome to have you. Why don't you go ahead and start out and tell us uh, a little bit about your group, how it was formed, what the the mission statement is. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, the the short, short version, because I've, t- I've told the story in so many different podcasts and in conventions and such, uh, is there were a whole bunch of us that were all working at a juvenile RTF, which is a resident, uh, residential treatment facility. And we were all working uh, with kids who had either been victims of sexual abuse or had uh, exhibited sexually problematic behaviors, and the facility shut down. So we were all unemployed. Uh, no one was hiring because they were actually shutting down multiple facilities going to community-based treatment. So we started a nonprofit. Um, and then very shortly after starting the nonprofit, we determined that, oh, wow, nonprofits need money. And uh, <laughs> that's a thing. So, yep. <laughs> hashtag nonprofit life. But right. uh, so we started running our convention, Save Against Fear. And uh, this basically was originally designed off of the idea of making your saving throw, if you will, against the fear to speak up about sexual violence, uh, whether you had been impacted yourself or if you know of someone who's being hurt. You know, so that that's kind of where it started. Um, in our first year, we actually had a very special guest, uh, Rich Thomas, who is a for, former creative director at White Wolf Publishing. Sure. And he now is the, uh, the major domo, if you will, of Onyx Path Publishing. And he, living in, in PA, he was like, hey, I'll come out to your little convention that we ran at like a game store. And Rich started sharing with us like different stories that he had come across for years about, 
people gaining benefit from tabletop role playing basically because of you know them battling the monsters in the game or a way that they were able to you know battle against some of the things that they struggled with inside mm-hmm. so from this we kind of all went wait a minute <laughs> we we actually ran D on the unit let's look at that again because uh, Bodana's whole mission at, at the time when we started was all about trying to find innovative and unique treatment strategies while improving the general overall delivery of mental health services. We, we found that working with kids and teens, <clears throat> the whole like, hey, Billy, let's talk for two, you know, for a half an hour to an hour about how much your life stinks. And, you know, sometimes kids don't want to do that. Right. Right. So. Yeah we started to see some connections not only with the gaming that we did with the kids on the unit, but we also then started to analyze our own gaming and what it meant to us. And this led to us just starting to develop and conceptualize this idea that, you know, if folks got therapeutic or or beneficial aspects of gaming just on their own, imagine how impactful this could be. If you then took a, a clinician's experience and expertise and training, and you guided that process by careful con- consideration of, you know, how we make characters and how we put people's lives into those characters, how we then put that into the story. And as we kind of went along this journey, we also then kind of said, well, wait a minute, there's also some pretty good applications in the board game realm as well. So we actually are kind of this marriage of of tabletop in general, but we do board as well as RPG, and our whole design and part of the reason that the name Bodana works is it is leading to an awakening or an understanding. So it's kind of like Buddha, Bodhi, Enlightenment. It's the idea that by playing these games, you are going through a process of covert learning and covert experiential learning. That we don't have to stop every five seconds and go, okay, Johnny, we're going to the village marketplace in D&D, so you're going to work on your reciprocal communication skills. <laughs> go! Sure. Yeah. you know, Because that's also boring. So it's more like we have a group. We want to teach kids how to collaborate and work together in a group. Hey, let's play from Marvel Legendary or let's play Harry Potter Battle for Hogwarts or, you know, Castle Panic and all the way up to the role playing. So we we basically analyze games to find out what skills you need to play the game. Then we fit those games to people to help with skill development as well as some therapeutic concepts. So that's kind of, I guess, the most snapshotty version sure. uh, that I yep. can give of like kind of like who we are and what we do. And, and there's a lot of different services that we offer as well. So how do you go about looking at the games and breaking down what skill sets they're good for? Like, what's that process look like? Uh, well, uh, uh, a lot of playing. <laughs> a, a lot of a yeah. lot of play testing from it from a different edge. I mean, normally people look at the play testing process and they're like, you know, do the rules ultimately make sense, or you know, is it fun? Does it keep me engaged? And we look at that too. But when we look at a different game, I'm trying to just pull one out of out of my head at random. Planet by Blue Orange Games. Sure. So Planet is a beautiful game if you've never played it. It has these little magnetic stick-ons and you put them onto this little magnetic basically D12. Yep. Um, so we look at that game, we go, okay, um, so because you have everything laid out and you know what the animals are in the array that you're going to be like putting these tiles on for, 
You have advanced planning, which uses executive functioning. It's decision-making, critical thinking. Uh, you also can mix some great curriculum connections into this. So it's also an education skills game. You mm-hmm. can do lesson plans if you're an educator about climates, animals, wildlife. You could even do ancillary assignments like write a report on the animals that you you know got to your particular planet. You could do environmentalism conversations based on that. But then we look at, okay, as far as, you know, how how the game looks, there's also, you know, just careful decision-making, risk and reward mechanics, which also leads to people developing confidence and initiative. So, you know, if we have kids that suffer from paralysis analysis, we might suggest a game like that, that encourages like, hey, time's running out, man, you got to do something. Like, yep. it, but we use the game to do that as opposed to like these um, stodgy, dry situations that people come up with, like in workbooks and in sessions. So that that's just one example of a game off the top of my head. But mm-hmm. that's our process. We play it. We play it multiple times. We go, what was really going on there in that in that game experience? And how can we then connect that? to an important developmental skill marker that will help a, a, a child, a teen, an adult. Uh, so that's kind of the process uh, majorly for the board game aspect. It's really interesting how, you, how you're using board games like that. Do you guys play in person or online? Uh, we do a little bit of both. Um, when we when we use the games, what we try to do with our programs is we we try to partner a lot with our local game stores um, and we run a lot of special programs out of those locations, and we do that for a couple different reasons. One, they often have libraries of some of the games that we don't have, mm-hmm. uh, so it kind of opens up the array. But I, I think more importantly, we normalize what we're doing as a process for the kids and the teens, and then we also say, hey, we're here doing this uh, like special event, but you can come back here anytime you want. So Mm -hmm. then it also opens up, you know, if we're working with kids who are autistic or kids who might have social skills challenges, now we're providing this entry point into a hobby that can develop lifelong friendships. I don't need to focus on small talk. We can just sit around and talk about the game. That's my favorite thing about playing board games. <laughs> yeah, it it's a great way to just start a conversation about what's going on in the game. Mm-hmm. So it already gives you an icebreaker. Yeah, you right? don't need you don't need to have that awkward small talk. You can just focus on the game and let the conversation come out naturally. Yeah, it's yep. not near as awkward as like standing around at a party. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, trying to and yeah, Absolutely. trying to engage with people. Yeah. Wonderful weather our sports team is having. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. We, and we're both interested in this one game, you know, it brings people. I, yeah, I love that. Yeah. And, and the selection of games that are out there. I mean, it, people are like, well, I'm not really a board game. And I go, well, I, I um, except for extreme cases, I think given the genre, the number of mechanics that are available out there, the types of games that are out there, mm-hmm. I, there are so many great ambassador games now. Uh, it, it's always funny. People go, oh, you use board games for, for skills like Monopoly or Payday. And I'm like, I will jump in front of traffic if I have to put Monopoly in front of a kid and claim it's skill building. Like, no, yeah, right, yeah. no. Yeah. Uh, yeah, skill and capitalism. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> negotiation there. <laughs> little, yeah, little bit. Well, if you play by the real rules, which is mm-hmm. my, my biggest problem, though, I, I, I've never met someone who plays by the actual by the book rules. I don't know. Natasha does because we were we were talking about it in one of the episodes. We talked about how she plays sometimes Monopoly with her well, kids. Okay. And it's like- I, I refuse to play Monopoly with my kids. So they went out looking for they wanted to play Monopoly so bad. So they've been collecting them at the thrift stores and then learning the instructions, reading the rules on their own because they didn't know how to play. So we've been and then making me play with them. So we've been playing real Monopoly. Yeah. All kinds of different versions. Yeah. Making, it's yeah. fine. It's not near as bad as when I was a kid. <laughs> You're right. By the rules, it's fine. But yeah, I agree with you. There are you cannot say there's not a game for everybody because there 100 percent is, you know, you don't like to be competitive. Fine. There's cooperative games, you know, yeah. you don't like heavy strategy. You know, there's party games, there's word games. There's just so many mm-hmm. games. There's just total random luck games, which a lot of us gamers don't like. But a lot of people really like those games. Oh, yep. Uh, what did I just we just did in a, we had one of our away teams go to a, a local library event called NovelCon in Pennsylvania. It was just a short little two, three hour thing. But we took a bunch of games and set up our information. And one of the volunteers was like, oh, my God, this game that you gave us to, to do today, it's number nine. If you've never played it, yep. it's an amazing game, right? It, it's very simple. It's this little thing that's like spatial reasoning, deduction, and logic. It's also very like concrete and focused. So, like kids that think about things very visually and very concretely, like it's a perfect game. And also has tactile stimulation because of little pieces. And the setup and teardown is so easy. I can teach someone that game in like four minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think somebody who says like I don't, I don't like board games just hasn't found the right board game yet yeah or, or they haven't had a positive experience with a right board game, yeah you know yeah mm-hmm. exactly even you know like natasha said even party games i mean there's so many party games out there that are so accessible for people to play and just have that social interaction piece i think that's one of the we talked about one of the main things that you know like natasha and i really like about the board game hobby is that ability of for social interaction and it doesn't even need to be you know, those surface level conversations of, you know, how's the weather? How's this? Whatever, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. Even if it's discussing game mechanics and the way the game comes together, how the artwork looks, how the artwork affects it, how the theme mm-hmm. goes in the board game. How we played the board game, like how we want to do it, di- how we'd want to do it differently. We like to recap and talk about what we do different. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and, and even some of those indelible moments from games that are very kind of unique experiences. I actually did uh, an interview a little while ago with uh, Kurt Covert from Smirk and Dagger, Smirk and Laughter. Yep. And Kurt and I talked for a long time about how awesome and actually therapeutic take that mechanics are mm. that people are like, well, oh my gosh, it's horrible. Like you're picking on your buddy or whatever. And I'm like, come yeah. on. You, you've never had that high five. Oh, he really got you. Yeah. Like that, that power to create these moments that are so fixed to whoever that group was. Like we've all experienced that you're playing a game of, you know, uh, the telestrations or something, you know, something off the target shelf. And you have that, like, drawing that everyone's like, uh, huh, huh? And it's like that little in-joke. That's a moment uh-huh. that people share, and that, that develops connections. So even if it's a game, like, on a scale of uh, Zero to T-Rex or Monstrosity, you know, just all these really cool games that have such unique flavors, 
and flair. I mean, they're therapeutic on the basic level of drawing people in, but there's so much more behind it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So do you do therapy sessions as well that incorporate gaming or is all, all of your therapy involved gaming? Well, it's, it's uh, most of the services that we offer centralized around gaming there, there are like when we use tabletop role playing games, for example, most of those sessions, uh, those that utilize that, we, we sometimes have like folks will need a little bit of extra support. So we'll have like one to one sessions, which will focus on other goals. Like if we're working on anxiety, for example, we'll have one to one sessions talking about like coping strategies and, you know, more traditional therapeutics mm-hmm. that then after we have built up that person to deal with anxiety will then inject it into the narrative. So it's, we've prepared the client for it previously. Oh, most, okay. most quote unquote therapy is pretty much our, our role-playing experience. There are some board games that, that utilize some elements. We're exploring, um, trying to use things like stuffed fables, uh, dead of winter, some of the story path systems, you know, games that have a narrative flow to them. Mm-hmm. Um, because I mean, mostly board games are tr- traditionally, they are more skill development areas for consideration. Whereas role-playing is where we do more of the, I guess you would say emotional heavy lifting mm-hmm. because it's a lot easier when you're like in the mindset of a character portraying that character directly. Um, but we've, we've done a number of different programs with local stores specifically targeting, you know, folks who are autistic that will set up like a community, you know, it's community board game day. Uh, mm-hmm. We set it up with the agencies who are like, bring along your folks, you know, the, your people that come to, you know, their own little groups or meetups will engage with our volunteers who are trained persons, but also we bring in members of the community. So now everybody is getting together via the game table. And in some cases, parents may say, well, I'm trying to work on this particular skill or, you know, mm-hmm. something. And we'll go, okay, there's some, uh, you know, in one case it might be, you know, my child just never makes choices. I go, well, guess who's picking the board game today? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, and it's, and, or if it's, you know, my child has difficulty when things don't go their way. How much more perfect can a board game be? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, maybe we'll play Running with the Bulls if that's the case, because, you know what I mean? That's a great game that's very tactile again with the dice. And, you know, so there's always there's always a board game that will fit. Um, we actually have an active board game library of about 3,000 titles wow. in Bodana nice. that we've, yeah, we've had a ton of donations from people who are like, yeah, I need to buy some more games, but I got limited shelf space. Do you guys take <laughs> donations? Yes, we do. Yeah. Uh, and some of you know some of those games we use in programs. Some of those games we auction off to fund our agency. Uh, so it's ton of ton of different ways that we use board games. But when you set up, let's say, a community game day, and you bring the community together, and let's say, a parents, I want to work on this specific skill set or whatever it happens to be. Mm-hmm. After you guys have finished the game, is there a moment where you guys take time to sit and like reflect on the decisions made? Or do you just kind of just let that process happen as their client is there? Like, how does that work? Yeah, if it's a if it's a community based engagement, like one of those like kind of social open air kind of gaming things, we do prefer in that type of environment to make 
the conversation more organic. Yep. Like, you know, did you have fun? What did you like? What didn't you like? What was cool about the game? Uh, mm. Was was there anything tough about learning the game? Like, we find a way to ask the question. So, it, because we're operating in a public setting, so we don't want to do any HIPAA violation or, you know, quote unquote, like blow up their spot. You know, we don't want yep. to embarrass someone by, you have issues and we're playing games to work on issues. It kind of defeats our approach to do it that way. Right. Um, so we may like pull a parent aside and say, okay, we talked earlier. So just let us know during the week, if there's any kind of concerns or by the next time, if you have anything that you, you know, we can select games or I'll even say, here's a couple of games here in the store that it, this is something that if you found that your child has enjoyed this experience, you can use gaming in your home. And you can buy certain titles. So if we're working with like parents of very young children, I'll I'll take them right to the Haba shelves, right? Like here's yep. here's the wall of yellow. This is you know it puts this puts the skills right on the box for you. Yep. Then as the child gets older, then we'll go to blue orange or game right games or you know a lot of these companies like uh, Yellow Calliope. You know a lot of game companies that focus on games for younger persons that are a lot more colorful, accessible. Um, so, yeah, I would say that for the most part, we try not to be dry with the approach. Now, having said that, if it is one of those situations where we're running games therapeutically, like role-playing games, um, yeah, in that case, like, we, you know, we have regular parent contact meetings. We're in very constant contact about you know, what it is that we're working on. And, and those games groups, those are often more kind of closed away. So we'll talk about, okay, everybody knows what we're here to work on. Like we still don't call out a lot of individual goals during RP sessions even yep. because we want the process to be as organic as possible. And the kids will make often deeper connections and control of the narrative than even we anticipated. Like they will read more deeply into a character or change the narrative to go in the direction they, as we perceive it and analyze it, as they where they need it to go. Hmm. So yeah. we we let that process kind of be what it is. So again, they're they're kind of two very different animals: the board the board game aspect and the and the role playing aspect. Yeah, specifically with the role playing aspect, you know, I'm a I'm a big D and D Pathfinder RPG okay. and. One of the things like I've often talked about is when developing a character or making a character, very rarely do you make a character that doesn't resemble you or have some sort of you within it. You know, even oh, yeah. th there are times where if I'm making a character and maybe I'm not necessarily super feeling super social or whatever when I'm making it, all of a sudden now this character has a lot less social attributes or whatever it happens to be. But then that's something that can like blossom within the game as you go forward, you know? Oh, absolutely. And and one of the things we jokingly do a training, because I always want to make it out there in the airwaves that we don't hate Watsy, we don't hate D&D, but <laughs> sure. there, yep. there are systems that we feel are better suited to therapeutic intervention that you know, D and D is is a great game that is the face of role playing. It, it, I believe, to a large degree, it's a combat simulator that people have injected role playing into, which yeah. is awesome, right? Yeah, but I can see that. When you talk about like 
kids on bikes or you know uh summer sky or golden sky stories which is a japanese import that you play as a henge it's an animal spirit that like lives amongst and works with humans uh it has no combat system. You know, the Doctor Who role-playing game, the person with the least violent intervention or problem solve, they go first in the initiative. You know, it's thematic elements to role-playing that make certain games better suited. Also, there's kids that don't like fantasy. Yes. And, yep. and, and please don't make your 5e Dungeons & Dragons Shadowrun mod. Just go learn a cyberpunk game. There's like yep. 20 million of them out there. Play Lasers and Feelings, man. I mean, there's so many games that, you know, just open it up a little bit because combat in D&D, that's a lot of session time yep. that, you know, it's just straight combat. We're not technically, I mean, we're working on some goals like team building and whatnot, but yeah, you, you want a little bit more of that narrative flow when you do this kind of thing uh, for, for some kids. What's great especially the time we live in right now is the explosion of RPGs and like D and D specifically and how mainstream it's become. You have famous actors doing it. You have series like critical role. That's, you know, gigantic that's paved the way for all these easier quote unquote, uh, RPG games to kind of approach like kids on bikes is a prime example. You know, that's, it's an RPG that people can play. It's going to be far more narrative. You're not necessarily dealing yep. with as much combat. Even something like Call of Cthulhu, which the theme of that might be a bit strong, depending on it the could age. Be. But even then, most of that is about rolling skill, like percentage dice, like how how well did I do? You know, yeah. like, and it's more about that. How do you approach the situation, and how can we do it? You know, that kind of thing. As opposed oh, yeah. to let's, I'm going to hit him with my short sword or whatever, right? <laughs> yep. Well, and there's even like a ton of one page RPGs. You know, the the whole uh, reinstitution of again, I'm old enough to remember the grand like the grand days of zines. You know, but the whole zine scene for RPG where you got a bunch of these like little micro games that come in and like big collection. There's yep. like 25 micro games. You can learn to play those in an hour. So now we have party style RPGs as opposed to just like party game board games, which is incredible. I, I just learned about one yesterday. I can't remember the title, unfortunately, but uh, the literally the game is just making characters. You don't play them; <laughs> you just make them. Yeah, role play. There? No, it's no, but that oh, especially with the expansion. Oh, yes. I love me some Thunderworks. Yes, <laughs> yes. Oh, role players, incredible. Such a good game. Yeah. Oh, abs- the, absolutely. I'm trying to think because there's a, what is, there's a RPG one shot. I think it's called Alice's Missing. Have you heard this? Oh, yes. The Alice one where you're, yeah, you're texting. Completely via text. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Like, it's just cool what kind of stuff they've come up with. You know? Oh, it drives me nuts when folks are like, well, I don't want any kind of electronic devices. Or, you know, I don't know why mm-hmm. these modern gamers are like in their 60s, but, uh, you know, this whole <laughs> thing of like, you know, no electronics, no electronics. Have you played Clank with the app add-on? That is mm-hmm. such a better game when you play Clank with the companion app or mm-hmm. Five Minute Marvel, the act- or Five Minute Dungeon or Five Minute Mystery. Yeah. You know, you have the little timer app that goes along with it, or I forget, I think it's Chronicles of Crime or one yes. of those types yep. where you have like the little like 3D, you know, like VR type 
apparatus you wear when you're looking at clues. And I'm like, this is this is incredible. Please don't please don't poo poo on so many of these great ideas that are coming out. Like board, like you said, board gaming is exploding, and it's just you know it's like Pokemon. I got to catch them all. I got to play as many of these games <laughs> as possible so I can find that other one that has just that sweet spot to it. You know. Yeah. So what are some of your personal favorite games? Ooh, per, uh, one of my personal favorites uh, in my top 10 is a game called The Menace Among Us uh, from mm-hmm. Smirk and Dagger. So uh, the whole theme of it is it's basically Among Us, the game, and The Menace Among Us. They were developed around uh-huh. the same time, actually. So the whole setup is you're all members of a ship crew, and your ship is disabled in space. You have a set amount of oxygen, and you have like zero power or close to zero power. Everybody on the crew gets a public on-deck role. So you might be the doctor, the chef, uh, the captain, the navigator, whatever. They're all like sci-fi things. But you match that with a secret identity that might be favorable or unfavorable to the crew. So you get these two little decks of cards, shuffle them together, that's your play deck. Now, in this deck, there are awesome cards that give you power to the ship. They give oxygen. They, like, repair stuff. There's, eh, could be good, could be bad. Who knows? But then there's cards like Explosion or Fist Fight or, you know, Reactor Leak. You know, like all these cards that are horrible. So the whole idea is your job is to get the ship back up to sufficient power to take off without losing oxygen. And the way the game plays is you either take an above deck action, which is doing something on your character card, or you play one of the cards in your deck onto a face down stack. People play the cards, you shuffle them, then whoever the mission leader is for that turn resolves the cards one at a time. So it turns into a, it's a social deduction game. You have to root out the saboteurs, but you never know who's playing what card uh-huh. And to make it worse, there's an AI on the ship called Emma, which is a deck of all of the cards that is randomly shuffled. And if less than half the crew puts in an action for that turn, the AI fills the gap. <laughs> so now, oh. it you know, like in a werewolf game, what's the worst thing about a werewolf game? Who to hang the first day? Yep. Because it's, you have nothing to go on. But in this game, from the gate, you have suspicion of who played that card. Wait, you didn't play a card and nothing bad happened. You played every round and something bad's happened, which makes the other aspect of the game so cool. There is a voting pistol that comes in the game. We use a big Nerf gun when we play because it's just that much better. Uh You grab the gun and go, it's time for a vote. I think Joe is the saboteur. Joe states his case. Then you do a one, two, three, point at who you think the saboteur is. If one player gets more votes than the other, they go to the brig. If you choose someone who's not saboteur, you lose oxygen because everyone's in a heated argument and all like yelling about it. <laughs> and the person in the brig can still play below deck action cards so that if they are the saboteur, they can still mess with the ship. Okay. And it, again, I hope I did a good job of representing it because, like I said, Smirk and Dagger is one of my favorite companies. I, I own everything that. <laughs> Kurt's hands have touched 
Uh, and it's awesome how it's the social deduction game. It's it's better than The Thing. It's better than Werewolf. It's better than all of the coup, whatever you want to name. Mm-hmm. And it really feeds into the genre convention, but it really ramps up the tension. Like, it's an intense game that you could even throw role-playing into. So yeah. that is that is probably one of my, uh, like, all-time favorites. Well, it only I, came out like in twenty nine. I'm looking at it. On, uh, yeah, it only came out in twenty nineteen. So it's yeah, it's, it's a new. new. Game. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if it just came out in that wrong time where all of a sudden social deduction game game to come out right at COVID just probably didn't do well. You know? <laughs> yeah, a lot of a lot of, a lot of folks uh, a lot of folks aren't aren't aware of it. But I mean, I love Everdell. Um, trying to think of some other ones that I absolutely love playing uh, Marvel United. I am a huge fanboy for Simon's Marvel United. I signed my soul to Simon to get everything. Uh, <laughs> oh, so you have so, a gigantic stack, the one that's like taller than you standing up, probably. Yep. Uh, I I currently have eighteen boxes. Where I so I have the core sets and all of the expansions, the map, everything for X Men. Marvel United as well as Marvel United and I will play it over and over. I have 27 minis to paint in the original set and now I've just got my shipment so I have another like 96 minis that I have to paint. Dang, wow. okay. So, oh yeah. Lots, lots of stuff with the free time I don't have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. But yeah, it, I, I like light games. Stuff that doesn't take you too long to get into Yeah. Uh, but is also good like thematically and I and Truth be told, I'm probably one of the most annoying players for competitive people because I don't care if I win or lose. I'll try, but if I lose, I don't get frustrated. I don't get bothered. I'm like, oh, that was fun. Okay. Cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you'd play well with Natasha because she always wants to win. No, I don't like people that say I don't care if I win or lose because they, they, don't, they don't play competitively. I, I want you to try to beat me. There, there's no sweet to the meat, as it were. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, like, yeah. Did I really win if you didn't care if you lost? Yeah, yeah. You don't even try. It's not. Yeah, it's not fun. It's like when you win a game, but the the people who lose are just like, yeah, well, you know, if I had done this or I had done this, like, uh, okay, so I didn't win. You lost. Is <laughs> the way you're making it feel right. like, yeah, nope. yeah. So how did you get into? We've been asking all of our interviews this. How did you get into? RPGs, tabletop gaming, like for, as a kid growing up, how did you get into it all? Uh, well, I, I I had pretty much, I mean, as we've already talked, I had the normal board game uh, stuff, you know, Payday, Parcheesi, Monopoly, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my formal intro, I think, into the bigger world of, of all of it was uh, I was about 12 or 13, and I had heard about, through a friend of mine, about role-playing games. And I was like, oh, Dungeons & Dragons, that sounds cool. Actually, a neighbor uh, across the street, his name is John, he had a copy of the old dungeon board game from TSR. Oh, okay. Which, you know, was kind of sort of an intro to D&D of sorts. Yep. Uh, so he was sitting on his porch drawing maps on grid paper to play with his college buddies. He was part of the first guard. Uh, and I was like, what is that? And he was like, D&D. And I go, what is D&D? And he was like, oh, young man, come <laughs> here. I, I, you know, I was totally pledging the fraternity. Yeah. So uh, he introduced me to that. And I, and I really didn't know how to play. And I didn't really have friends, you know, who, who were teaching me. 
So my true renaissance actually came via Ghostbusters. Um, the first system that I legit knew the rules, how to play. Uh, I was introduced to it. It came out in 1986 from West End Games, which is also ba- was based in Pennsylvania. Uh, and I've seen Ghostbusters like over 400 times. It's literally like my favorite movie of all time. <laughs> so when you say I, when you get asked if you're a god, <laughs> you, you say, say yes. yes. <laughs> <clears throat> so yeah, that that was my formal intro, and and we pretty much uh, and this goes into a weird little joke. So I designed a character. His name is Jonathan Tiberius Airedale, and Tiberius obviously because I'm a huge Star Trek fan as well. Yep. So borrow mm-hmm. the T. But then we got kind of bored playing Ghostbusters, so we actually transitioned our Ghostbusters through this weird adventure a friend of mine at the time wrote. So then we became Marvel superheroes, the same characters. We were like, okay, we left the Ghostbusting world for superheroing. Then we took those same characters and we started to play Shadowrun. But in this case, it was, oh, well, it's in the future, so I'm going to play Airedale's, like, son. In the future. Okay. Then we played Call of Cthulhu 30s, and I said, well, there's always got to be an Airedale. So then it was his ancestor, like back in the past. So the joke with me, which I loved when we started to play Pugmire, uh, shout out to Eddie Webb and Onyx Path, because your last name in Pugmire is a dog breed. So it was the most natural appearance of an Airedale in any role-playing game, but that was that was kind of my trajectory after I started playing those, you know, and it's what you love. I loved Ghostbusters, I loved comics, I loved, you know, horror, sci-fi. That pretty much ignited my love of RPG, and it's, and it's been with me ever since. Um, I love being a GM, I don't really like being a player. I love, I don't know if it's a control thing or just loving to... You know, I finally have a chance for the voices, you know, to escape via comedic representation or whatever. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's always been that idea that I mean, even, even for myself, self-disclose, role-playing games specifically developed my level of confidence in myself. As a child, I was, I was very, I had no belief in myself, didn't have any confidence, tons of anxiety, tons of depression, ADHD. And gaming helped me focus my ideas into a story. It helped me gain confidence in what I was presenting to people. It had me identify talents that I had for thinking creatively. And it just gave me so much that it's a hobby. Like, I'm going to develop a cane for when I'm older that I'll like, I'll press a button and it'll pop a D20 out of the base. Like, like, I. I'm never leaving this hobby. Yeah, roll for initiative, know. right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's my golden years spent spent on a five by five grid map. We were <laughs> Natasha and I were chatting. What we're gonna do is we're gonna we're gonna hopefully get enough money where we can open up a retirement community center mm-hmm. where it's nothing but like board gamers. So we'll have like a gigantic yeah gigantic board game library rpgs you name it it's gonna be that's all beautiful. us retirees oh, <laughs> none of us will have alzheimer's because we'll all be like using our brains oh, exactly yeah see i'm trying to think of what the perfect name for something like that would be Ooh. yeah you know that that might that might be like a listener challenge like what would you name <laughs> 
You know what, what I mean? Yes. Like, <laughs> yeah, I like it. Well, that once you give it a name, it has to start. It has to be true, right? Like <laughs> you start oh, yeah. the process. You know? Yeah, it's, it's a retirement home tulpa. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, exactly. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be amazing. If when you we can build do that. it, they will game. <laughs> can you? I would. I man, I would imagine. We'd have to have some sort of wait list just for the people to get in there, you know, mm-hmm. just because of how awesome it's going to be. Oh, going to yeah. make the outside look like a castle or something like that. Yeah. 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 Sweet. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. I have one more question for you. Oh. And I, I did not prep you for this question. So this is the tough one. This is the tough one. I've been asking everybody. Uh oh. It's board game night. Okay. Mm-hmm. You're inviting some people over, you're about to play some games. What is your go-to board game snack? Mm. Board game snack. Snack. Wow. That is a tough question. You cuz usually we just we don't do snacks per yep. se. Uh I would say that typically it's we order out at our place and we rotate between three different places. Um there's New Panda which sure. is our, you know, the obvious. Yep. Uh, there is um, Fiesta del Mexico, which is our second typical option, and then Marco's Pizza. We, yeah, we really there. There really isn't a go-to snack. I mean, I can say my personal snack that I love, which is cucumber slices with a little dipping tray of uh, blue cheese dressing. Oh yeah, uh, okay, that, yeah. That's like my one of it. And when I'm feeling naughty, I will have uh, honey mustard combos. Mm, okay perfect yeah yeah (laughs) yeah that's good i'll I'll accept that that's good yeah all right i always find it i always i don't know i for whatever reason i've been asking everyone because i just find it interesting like what everyone's snack is because there's certain things you you shouldn't bring and there's certain things you can bring (laughs) (laughs) like you know especially if especially if you're busting out a game that doesn't have sleeve cards like you gotta just make sure you're you're on point with that but oh absolutely absolutely well it and with a lot of like little fiddly bits and stuff like that because they're well you also can learn about regional snacks too mm-hmm. that's yeah that's a cool question because there's like brands i know i moved from Reading, pennsylvania to york pennsylvania and yep. there's like at least three or four companies of like chips pretzels ring bologna Sorry if you're not from the area and don't know where ring bologna is. Mm-mm. But uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty much the sawdust of meat that's put in a casing. That's all it it's, is, Yeah, really. it's the scraps. It's just yeah, like, yeah, let's just grind bad. them all together. Throw yep. some flavoring in there. <laughs> yeah, it's worse than a hot dog. Just throwing that out there. But yeah, they, they I can't get it here. And it's literally 45 minutes. I drive that way and I could pick it up. And I'm like, this is this blows my mind. But okay. Yeah, like in Michigan, we have like our we have better made snack foods. That's one of our bigger ones. And then like Fago is also like a big regional oh. thing in our yeah. Well, so. a- anybody that's you know hung with hung with the ICP, they they know about Fago. Yeah, they better know about Fago. Yeah, better, better, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, the rock and rye, right? <laughs> uh, uh, see, well, folks, therapists are cool. <laughs> <laughs> there's no there's no reason not to like them. Where can we check you out at? Where if people are interested, uh, mul- multiple different places. Uh, so we uh, can be found uh, online www.thebodanagroup.org. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bodana is B O D H A N A, uh, and using that spelling, uh, we are also at the Bodana Group on Twitter. 
you can also check out our Facebook page, which is where we post most of our uh, kind of our local events. Now, of course, that we are post-isolation period, we are starting to get out to more conventions, more conferences. Um, now, folks who are close to Pennsylvania or willing to travel. Uh, can also join us in October, second week, which is October 7th through the 9th this year in York, PA, uh, for the Back In, or as we're uh, theme this year is live in front of a studio audience, uh, Save Against Fear convention. It will be our 12th year running the event, uh, but we're pretending it's our 10th in our mind because we lost two years into online only, yeah. but we're, get, we're getting the band back together. It's going to be a, a huge three-day event. It's our primary flagship fundraiser. So uh, raising money for that helps us fund grant-funded groups uh, where, you know, kids and families, they don't have to worry about shouldering the cost of groups. We want to offer our services at low to no cost. Um, we also have a book on our two books that we've written that you can find on RPG. if you look for Wizards, Warriors, and Wellness. We have a yellow book that is all about therapeutic applications of RPG. And then we have a blue book, which is therapeutic uh, aspects of the board game hobby. Uh, so you can order in PDF on drive-thru or you can order print copies for yourself. Um, oh, my gosh. There's so many plugs here. It's like you yeah. know, <laughs> three hours later. Um, we are also in the process of developing our own role-playing game called Branch Riders, um, which is in its beta phase. We're actually uh, ready to take it out of the garage again because we've done some tune-ups. Uh, it's this whole game where you take on the role of a branch rider, someone from one of eight unique realms uh, across the world that we've created. And your whole mission is to defeat what we call the blight, which can be anything from hubris to anxiety to sadness, depression, isolation. But it is all weaved through eight different worlds, each with their own genre and their own skill building convention. So as an example, we have a steampunk world, which is all about uh, taking initiative, risk, reward. So the entire realm is all about people fighting to take chances to protect their realm against the Imperium, uh, which is kind of like, you know, not quite so standard uh, steampunk uh, military force, <laughs> yep. if you will. So it's, it's a lot of really cool mechanics that we're developing. We're hoping to kickstart uh, by either the end of this year or the beginning of next year. Uh, so, yeah, we have, we have a ton of great stuff that we're doing uh, that you can find out. We also have our own Twitch channel. If you just look for Bodana on Twitch, we have a YouTube channel as well, which is the Bodana Group incorporated on uh youtube so yeah we're all over the place um well, that's uh, <laughs> awesome yeah and i and i guess if you're into the big stuff we are going to have a booth at origins this year oh yeah so we're going to be there yeah yep. we're both so, we're both planning on being there so awesome yep. hey we'll get to meet in person yeah that'd be Yay. awesome yeah yeah Absolutely. play some games for sure oh no doubt no doubt you can yeah you can teach us that uh the menace among us I will definitely be bringing the menace among us, especially with our our again, like I said, that big, oversized, almost comical uh, orange Nerf pistol Perfect. that has that has bullets in the chamber. <laughs> nice <Just> saying. <laughs> if need be, if need be, that's awesome. We also, of course, offer a uh, training series, uh, the Bodana model, which uh, teaches professionals, whether you be educator, community center, aficionado, therapist, 
uh, all about how to utilize tabletop role playing hmm. for education, skill building, or therapy. They are CE hour approved through the National oh. Board of Certified Counselors. That's awesome. Um, yep. So we're we're an ASEP provider for them. So if you are ACA or LPC, you will be covered to be able to get CE hours for our trainings. We even have trainings that will teach you how to specifically use Pugmire and kids on bikes in your therapy sessions. And we actually have an upcoming training for No Thank You Evil uh, and D&D as well. So a lot of great stuff. We offer consultation. If you're an agency that wants gaming programs, reach out to us. And of course, we always have room in our groups, which parents can find. Uh, we have some online groups as well as some in-person groups. So all of that Wonderful. I should have just said go to the website. Everything's there. But so you know what everything looks like. Uh, yeah, did perfect. I, did I come in under five minutes this time? All right. Yeah, close enough. <laughs> close enough. Thanks for so much for joining us, Jack. That wraps up May, our uh, month of mental health awareness. That's our show for this week. Thanks for listening to our shenanigans. Join us next week where we're going to talk uh, with another special guest. Please leave us a review and check us out on Instagram or Facebook. Uh, send us your questions to boardgameshenanigans at gmail.com. Thanks for joining. Have a good week. <laughs>